Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, it's Prairie Fire Magazine's 40th birthday. This wonderful publication has been showcasing some of the best local and national writers since 1978, and we'll be joined by the co-founder of the magazine and current editor, Andrus Taskins. Then, we'll talk with Nikki Kerslake of the Downtown Winnipeg Biz about some of their upcoming events, including a brand new Downtown Winnipeg Night Market that's happening this Friday. And today on RC360's road trip, we visit the Ogniwo Polish Museum here in Winnipeg, Archivist Marta Dabros takes us on a tour of the museum and shares some of the histories that can be found through the museum's archives. And finally, reconciliation is a vital part of Winnipeg moving forward, and we're going to be joined in studio by Megan Tate. She's the director of community grants at the Winnipeg Foundation. We're going to be talking about a new $1 million reconciliation granting stream that was recently launched by the foundation. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Welcome to the show. I don't know. Some people might be listening on the podcast, Robert. You never know. It's true. So good night. If you're if if you're visiting us before you go to bed, how are you tonight? How are things, Robert? <laughs> things are things are not too bad, Nolan. How are things I'm with you? I'm quite well. It's been a busy June so far. I mean, are we coming up on July soon? Yeah, we are. Is. Yeah, Canada Day's coming up. You just have any around plans the for that? corner. Yeah. Um, probably check out the fireworks, I think. It's always fun. Yeah. Classic Winnipeg staple. Go down to the Forks, watch some fireworks. There's fireworks all over the province, really. You know, you can... Last year, we went up to uh, a buddy of mine's got a rooftop access on, like, the 15th floor or whatever, and you can kind of look around all throughout the city, and you can see fireworks just off in the distance in every single direction. It's really cool how you you can kind of see people celebrating all across the country for the same reason, just because we love Canada. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. We'll have we'll have to do something special for the Canada Day show next week, but uh, for this week's show, we've got a lot of really cool things to get to. Up first, we're going to be uh, celebrating another birthday. It's not Canada's birthday, but it's Prairie Fire Magazine's 40th birthday. Uh, this wonderful publication, as Robert mentioned, has been going for 40 years, and uh, it's a really cool showcase of fiction, of nonfiction, and of poetry from local writers and, and uh, different different authors from all across Canada. So uh, really excited to speak with Andrus Taskins. He's going to be joining us in studio right after the break. Um, as we mentioned last week, we're going to be continuing the River City 360 road trip. I understand you went to Agnuvo Museum. What was that all like for you? That was very cool. Um, it was really interesting getting to see some of what they had in the archives. Mm. Um, a lot of old letters, photos, passports. Oh, nice. Um, just things that really tell the story of different people's experiences. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Probably some of our first settlers here in, in Manitoba, the Polish. I don't really know this history, so I'm excited to hear what you actually learned because I'm admittedly not very good at history, as my history teacher would tell you in high school. Yeah, we focused in on a few different, uh, a few people in particular who had okay, some cool. very interesting stories. So, uh, yeah, excited to uh, to bring you that this week on Road Trip. Well, let's get to it. Let's kick things off, as we always do, with a little bit of music. So, uh, Rob, what do you want to play when we kick the show off today? I think we'll start things off with uh, seeing as how it's a, it's a summer day today. This is one summer day, and it's Frank Mills right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and joining me in studio, we have a very special guest. We have Andres Taskins. He's the editor of the award-winning Prairie Fire magazine, which is coming up on its 40th anniversary. Andres, thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm glad to be here, Nolan. Well, we're happy to have you. It's a celebratory time because Prairie Fire, as I mentioned, is uh, turning 40. So dating all the way, if I'm doing my math correctly, 1978, I I believe it used to be called Writer's News Manitoba and then switched to Prairie Fire. But tell us about, give me a history of Prairie Fire magazine, how it started and and why you wanted to start it. Well, the the potted short version of the history is that uh, um, two women named uh, Catherine Bittany and Elizabeth Carrier had started a a writers group in the 1970s here in Winnipeg called the Winnipeg Writers Workshop and at a at a February 1978 meeting of the the workshop Elizabeth said that we need to have a newsletter to tie together the various disparate elements of the Manitoba writing community and out of that came the first issue of Writers News Manitoba published in July of 1978 with Elizabeth Carrier, Catherine Bittney, and myself as editors. And this newsletter lobbied to create the Manitoba Writers Guild, which happened in 1981. And so at that point, we decided that the newsletter was no longer needed, and the the magazine transitioned into a literary magazine and became uh, the sort of the typeset a perfect bound magazine that it is today that happened in 1984 very cool so how you've been there from the very beginning how has how has the magazine how has the publication evolved over the past 40 years well the f- the first one was just a few pages long and it had staples and and it was produced on a typewriter and pasted up on a kitchen table and it looked pretty crude <laughs> it i mean right from the beginning it had both news items and literary writing, but but over the time, it, the news items dropped away um, so that uh, by the early to mid-80s, it was uh, fully publishing poetry and fiction, non-fiction, drama, and it's more or less done that ever since uh, with detours into special issues on... Um, various topics. So we celebrated in 1985 the 1885 Métis resistance and we published ethno-cultural issues on Mennonite writing and indigenous writing on Ukrainian writing and and, uh, Jewish Canadian writing and on and on. Many different kinds, exploring the different elements of uh, Manitoban and Canadian writing but always with a a focus on Winnipeg. We've done a special issue on Winnipeg literature and we many times with the help of the Winnipeg Foundation we've published special supplements devoted uh, to Winnipeg writers. Very uh, cool. So it kind of runs the gamut of, of all sorts of different writings and, and a, with a big focus on local authors. So like what do you think it is about Manitoba that creates such a wide breadth of talent here in our province? Well, uh, Winnipeg is, a, is a, as everyone has noted before me, an isolated city mm. geographically. And it, so it catches people coming here. It, it, it offers all kinds of interesting opportunities. There are universities. We, ha- we have bookstores. We have 
we have a, a sort of a thriving art scene that is not just a writing scene, and, and all of these reinforce each other. Do you think isolation breeds creativity? I think if creative people are isolated, they find ways to amuse themselves. Well said. So let's talk a little bit about the 40th anniversary, 1978 till 2018. What can people expect out of the uh, 40th anniversary issue of Prairie Fire? Well, it's a, a it's about a two and a half sized issue. It's wow. uh, t- our regular issues might be around 128 pages, and this one comes in at 272. Wow. Um, uh, one third of it is the, our regular summer issue, which features writers who are winners of our writing contests that we do, that are sponsored by McNally Robinson Booksellers that, and, and the BAMP Center. Then we have another third of the issue consists of ri- new writing by people who were involved with the magazine in the early days. Nice. The late 70s, early to mid 80s period. Very cool. And, and that includes uh, quite a few Winnipeg writers and, uh, and a few former Winnipeggers that we had to call in. They've moved elsewhere, but they're still at Winnipeggers at heart. For sure. And then the final third of the issue includes a, a selection of new writing by individuals who have never published in Prairie Fire before. So oh. it's totally, they may have published elsewhere, mm-hmm. but we've never published them, and they're all Winnipeg-based writers. Very cool. How do you feel when you think back on 40 years? Did you ever think that it would be this, grow to this level and have this level of notoriety and all the awards that the magazine has won? I, I don't think any of us anticipated that it would last this long. Uh, when I was first asked to be part of it, I said I'll do it for one year. So, a jerk's so on plus me Plus 39. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, I, I, I think that we, we wanted it to succeed and, and thrive, but, but we were up, you know, there was, it, was all, it was touch and go for such a long time. There have been ups and downs in terms of funding or in terms of people's involvement, all kinds of uh, good and bad well, times. surviving through the digital revolution as well, you know? Well, like we, we evolving into that, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. I mean, we started using basically uh, crude tech, such crude technology as, you know, paper and pencils <laughs> and pens, typewriters, right. physical typewriters mm-hmm. and, ma- you know, and uh, scissors and, and hot wax and all wow. kinds of other things that today would seem to be a joke. And everything is uh, done on screen. For sure. What, what do you want the legacy of the magazine to be? Well, I would like... I would like it to be uh, that it, it helped to introduce some new writers and help launch to maybe launch a few careers or, or at least help people along the way uh, give them a, that, an extra give them a bit boost. of a break. Yeah, yeah that they might have had to they might have still found it elsewhere, but I'd like to think that we helped and and so and also just show people the great variety of the kinds of writing that that come out of this area because. Um, you know, there, w- there was a time when Winnipeg seemed to be the place where people came from, but they ended up having to go elsewhere to succeed. But, but more and more, it seems that writers can start here and also stay here. And, and that's another benefit of our digital world. Absolutely. So let's talk about the 40th anniversary. When is it out? Where can our listeners get a copy? And, and well, wh- what can we expect? The, the issue will uh, be available in bookstores, I'm 
I can't give you a precise date, but mid-July. Okay, cool. And we are sold at uh, McNally Robinson Booksellers on Grant, and we uh, the Winnipeg Art Gallery Bookshop has us, the gift shop, and there's a, a few other locations, Dominion News and so forth. So it'll be available locally in, in some of the places that sell uh, magazines. Are you doing a launch event or anything for the, the for launch? Is also at McNally Robinson, oh, cool. and it's um, at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, July the 25th. And what we're doing is featuring readings by 15 writers. Awesome. These are the new writers who have never been published in Prairie Fire before until this year, and they will all read f- for a minute or two apiece. And then afterwards, there's going to be uh, coffee and cake. Fantastic. So that's July 25th, 7 p.m. You can find more information, I'm sure, at prairiefire.ca, where the website is. And you can look all into that and and celebrate this 40th fantastic uh, monumentous occasion. (laughs) Because congratulations. It's quite the the feat. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time for coming in. And and good luck with the 40th and good luck with the next 40 years. (laughs) Andrus Taskins, the editor of the award-winning Prairie Fire magazine right here in Winnipeg. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much, Nolan. Coming up after the break, our very own Sonny Primolo sits down with Nikki Kerslake of the Downtown Winnipeg Biz, and they'll be speaking about the Downtown Winnipeg Night Market, and we'll find out what's going to be there to do uh, tomorrow evening. That's happening this Friday, and uh, definitely check it out. But we'll learn a little bit more about it after our next musical break, and keeping in the theme of uh, the night market, here's Elvis Presley with Such a Night, right here on River City 360. See, how many are we going to do? How many did we do before? <clears throat> okay. It was a night. No, no, no. Yeah. I don't think it was. Hey, wait for my hand, Chief, before you come in on the beat. was a night, ooh, what a night it was, it really was such a night. The moon was bright, oh how bright it was, it really was such a night. The night was alive with stars above, ooh, when she kissed me, I had to fall in love. Oh, it was a kiss, ooh, what a kiss it was, it really was such a kiss. Oh, how she could kiss Oh, what a kiss it was It really was such a kiss Just the thought of her lips Sets me afire I reminisce And I'm filled with desire But I gave my heart to her Sweet story Such a night came the dawn, and my heart in love, and the night was gone. But I'll never forget the kiss, the kiss in the moonlight. Ooh, such a kiss, such a night. It was a night. Ooh, what a night it was! It really was such a night. Came the dawn. 
Welcome back to River City 360. Sonny Promoli here with Nikki Kerslake, event coordinator of Downtown Winnipeg Biz. Thanks for coming on the show, Nikki. Thanks for having me. I know uh, by following Downtown Winnipeg Biz and Downtown Peggy on Instagram that uh, you folks are pretty busy over at the Downtown <laughs> Winnipeg Biz. Uh, can you tell me about some of uh, the events? Well, week to week, we have um, our concert series. We have one at City Place and one at the Farmer's Market on Thursdays. That's on Edmonton Street. Um, we have fitness in the park every day in multiple locations, Memorial Park, Millennium Library Park, and Upper Fort Gary on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, Farmer's Market every Thursday, and um, Movies on Memorial is coming up quick in August, which I'm really excited about. That's one of my favorites. Uh, we also have the Downtown Winnipeg Night Market on the last Friday of June, July, and August. That's awesome. Yeah, speaking of the night market, it'll feature a bunch of vendors, live entertainment, and there's a wine and beer garden. Uh, what kind of vendors should people expect? Uh, well, it's similar to our uh, farmer's market that happens on Thursday during the day. It's all make it, bake it, grow it. Um, we're super excited because we have a few of our uh, downtown businesses participating, like Tia's is going to be there. Oh, cool. uh, Shoppers, Clay Oven is going to set up. Um, so that's going to be awesome. Uh, Rudy's is doing the wine and beer garden. So it's going to be on their patio and they're going to have a pop-up bar on uh, Kennedy street. That's awesome. My very first night market was when I went to Richmond uh, down in BC and it really blew my mind. Uh, what was the concept or the process behind creating a night market downtown? Well, we wanted to kind of tap into the success of our downtown farmers market on Thursdays. And we thought creating a night market would give uh, folks who can't necessarily get out during the workday or maybe they don't work downtown to come down on a Friday night, experience, um, you know, some of the businesses downtown and our vendors and, and that kind of stuff. So that was the main, um, I guess, thought process behind it. And we always like to, our events are always family friendly and free. And so we like to... Um, you know, promote spaces and our businesses and really activate spots that don't always get activated for events. Mm. And so 
I hear that there's an Instagram alley. What exactly is an Instagram alley? <laughs> um, so we know, uh, you know, as millennials, that uh, Instagram is a huge part of what we do and how we communicate. And so we wanted to give, um, you know, people an opportunity to, I guess, memorialize, whatever you want to call it, uh, the event and their experience there. Um, so we've partnered with uh, Graffiti Gallery and Studio 393 and creating a scene. Um, so they're going to bring some backdrops, a chalk wall. There's going to be frames. It's going to be super cool. It'll be on Kennedy. Well, that's awesome. The night market is being held Friday, June 29th. But mm -hmm. for those that can't make it, there's some other dates that uh, you're holding this. Yeah, we are holding three, actually. So the next one um, after this Friday will be July 27th. And then the last one of the summer is August 31st. Awesome. And what time would the uh, night market be held? Uh, it's from 4 to 11. When you think about the downtown night market, um, there is going to be a lot of entertainment. What kind of entertainment should people see there? Uh, we really wanted to make sure that we could spread the entertainment throughout the entire site. Uh, so there's going to be multiple spots that performers are going to set up and it's going to be uh, very acoustic. Um, and kind of really warm and fuzzy. And um, there's some uh, folks that, you know, play the ukulele that are coming. Uh, Isla Barker is actually coming. She played our concert series at City Place today. Cool. So that's cool. Um, Carrie from Current Motion is going to be there. She's going to be walking around and doing uh, like some hoop dancing and stuff like that. There's a ton of other things that people can see while they are downtown, like the pop-up parks. Can you tell me where those are and what to expect when you go there? Yeah, our, uh, our placemaking team put in a lot of hard work to do these pop-up parks, and they're so amazing. I wish I could spend all day in them. There's one um, on Kennedy Street. And the other one is on Hargrave and Portage. Uh, the one on Hargrave and Portage actually has uh, some games in it. They've, you know, set up lighting, so some twinkly bright lights, and they're super cool, also very Instagrammable. Uh, we mentioned earlier that there's fitness in the park. Uh, so where can people go to get some fitness in the park? Uh, so they can actually go to our website to see the full schedule. It's downtownwinnipegbiz.com. We have uh, Monday to Wednesday from 12 to 1. It's at Memorial Park, uh, Millennium Library Park, and then we actually have boot camp at Upper Fort Gary on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So you mentioned that there's a concert series at City Play. So how often does that happen and when does that happen? It's every Tuesday uh, from 12 to 1, and it's uh, on the City Place Terrace, which is right outside of the food court. Thank you again for coming down to speak with us today. How can people learn more about the Downtown Night Market or other events that the Downtown Winnipeg Biz is holding? Uh, yeah, they can go to our website, downtownwinnipegbiz.com, and follow us on social media just at Downtown Winnipeg Biz. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Sunny. Up next, we've got the RC360 road trip where we are heading off to Ognuo Polish Museum. But before we get to that, here's the Beach Boys with Do You Remember, right here on RC360.
shopping didn't get very far. Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. Today we're heading out to the Ogniwo Polish Museum to talk with archivist Marta Dabros. Let's go! We are on another road trip today, and today we are at the Ogniwo Polish Museum in Winnipeg, and I'm joined by Marta Dabros. She is a volunteer archivist here at Ogniwo. Marta, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Tell us a little bit about the museum. How did the museum get started, and what is the goal of the museum? The museum originally was created as an offshoot of the Polish-Canadian uh, Women's Federation branch here in Winnipeg. And that was, I believe, in the late uh, 1980s. And so they they decided that we need like a, a central space to preserve the artifacts and the cultural kind of items, archives of our Polish community here in Winnipeg. And so they obtained this this space here at 1417 Main Street, and they began collecting and exhibiting their artifacts. So our mandate is to collect and preserve and exhibit the culture and the stories of, of Polish settlement in Winnipeg. You were mentioning that a lot of the historical items that are here at the museum are donated by different people, different families. One of the main exhibits that is all along the walls here speaks to the experience of people who immigrated from Poland to Canada and what that was like. Can you summarize what what we're seeing here and, and how that all ties back with some of the artifacts that are on display? Yeah, so our current exhibit is called In My Words, and that's exactly what it is. It's the stories of Polish immigrants to Canada and to Winnipeg told through their words. And so we have organized the exhibit thematically, telling the reasons why people immigrated, uh, the story of their trip over, whether it was by boat or by plane or however they got here. Uh, how they found uh, work when they came, how they settled in, how they found uh, the language barrier, the cultural barrier, how they dealt with uh, the weather even, like all those kind of aspects of, of immigration and settling in, both positive and uh, the more difficult aspects of that, as told through the stories of everyday people. We want to make a space for the stories of everyday people to be able to tell them to preserve that history and to educate about that. One of the items that you were pointing out a little bit earlier to us was uh, this uniform here. Let's walk on over. So this uniform here belongs, or belonged, I guess, to Dr. Lukasz Kulczycki or Lukas Kulczycki. Back, I believe it was like back in November or just before Christmas or something, I heard uh, from a man in Swan River, Stan Patsak, and he had this uniform in his storage. It belonged to a doctor that his parents knew 
who had practiced up in Swan River in the 1950s. And through whatever, um, you know, series of events, the man who the uniform belonged to left it with some friends. And then eventually those friends' estate went to his parents and his parents' estate went to him. And so he was in possession of this uniform. And so he wondered if we would be interested in receiving it as a donation. We said, of course, we're always collecting things like that. Uniforms, military history is also important. So he sent it. uh, And in the pocket, I found probably about 80 to 100 black and white photographs and some documents. And so I started looking through the photos and accessioning them into our archives. And I uh, found the name of this man on, on the backs of the photos and on the documents. And so I started researching who he was. And it turns out he was this amazing, very talented pediatrician specializing in cystic fibrosis. He moved down to Virginia and left his uniform behind in Manitoba and he went on to become very uh, renowned for his work with cystic fibrosis in children. Like over the course of his career, the lifespan of children with this disease increased by many years and he developed all these treatments and so on. So I was trying to find more about him and realized he's actually still alive and he's 106 years old. I got in touch with his daughter. Um, She couldn't believe these items were still here. She had never even heard of these photos or these documents. And so we thought the right thing to do was obviously to send it back to him. They're his things. And so we did that. He had a really wonderful visit with his daughter. He put on the uniform. He was looking through the photos. All those memories were flooding back. And then once they had their time with the items, they donated them back to the museum. So now they're here on display and we welcome people to come share part of that story with us. Stories really are the the basis of what's here at the museum. And uh, you were highlighting a couple of stories from the archives. So apart from our artifact collection here at the museum, we also have a lending library of uh, materials dealing with Polish Canadian period history and so on, like local kind of Polish history. And then we also have a, an archives um, where we document the history of, of Polonia or the Polish settlement here through different documents, photographs, all kinds of documents and records. So There was a collection of letters that you were showing us earlier. Tell us a little bit about who wrote those letters and because it sounded a lot like you had to piece a lot of the components of this puzzle together. When I started working in the archives here, we had a small box of letters, just handwritten letters bound by some elastic bands. It wasn't too big. And so I started working my way through them, not knowing anything about them. Uh, except the names that were on the envelopes. So they were all addressed to a man named Walter Vajne or Władysław in Polish, Władysław Vajne. I started opening them up, slowly reading them, trying to make sense of what this small collection is about. And as I did, it revealed this incredible history. Walter Vajne came to Manitoba in, I believe, 1926 or 27. A young man, you know, in his late 20s, and he uh, settled and decided to become a farmer just out near uh, Oak Hammock here in Manitoba. And he left behind in Poland his entire family. So seven brothers and sisters, his parents, nieces and nephews, everybody. He was out here by himself. He may have had a distant relative somewhere that was guiding him, but uh, for the most part, he was on his own. So he felt that isolation, loneliness. He communicated with his family and they wrote letters. And they wrote these letters until Walter died in the 1990s and 96. So basically we have, you know, 60, 70 years of history. And so what at first looks like just a couple of boxes of letters, it actually contains this rich history. So what you start to see is the history of this small town in Poland, Huta Różaniecka, which today there's nothing left there. There's the remnants of an old church and, and some gravestones and no one lives there anymore. But what you see with these letters is how vibrant and rich that village life was. I start to see larger historical trends reflected 
through these letters. So the effects of the depression on the family or the effects of World War II, how the family was separated and forced to hide during invasions and raids and how their homes were destroyed and how they lost everything and had to start over with nothing, not, not even clothing or, or shoes, to building their, their lives back up and reconnecting. You know, people were scattered and uh, still like through all these events, they managed to write to their brother in Canada. There was another archive that you were showing us a little bit earlier, Mary Pinero, and so many contributions that she made to the community in Winnipeg. Tell us a little bit about what's stored in some of those archives and how it relates to her work and her history. Mary Pinero is another just incredible example of a person who devoted their whole life to giving back. She was born in early 1900s and her family came here to Winnipeg from Austria, but the borders were kind of shifting all the time. So she was a Polish family born in Austria and then came here in, I believe, 1910 or so. And so just as a child. And then right after her family came here, she lost one of her brothers. Then a few years after that, lost her mother and her father not long after. So she was kind of taken into uh, care by, she writes about a social worker that really helped her out, her and one other brother that were left. And she vowed after receiving the help from the community and from that one particular woman that she would always give back. And she really did till the end of her life. If there was anything happening in the Polish community here, she was part of it or she organized it. She did so much work. Uh, in the end, she received the Order of Canada for her work, not only to Polish community, but she also worked um, at the international centers. So helping refugees, helping uh, people from all other cultures settle and get accustomed to life here in Canada and organizing and fighting and just an amazing person. Very cool. And you mentioned that there's always a lot of events that are going on at the museum. Can you tell us about a few of those? There's always something happening. We have events, we have workshops, we have uh, lectures on various cultural things. We have movie screenings. Just our latest workshop we had was uh, just in the spring, we had uh, Pisanki, which is the traditional Polish Easter egg workshop. So teaching the uh, wax application method and then the various stages of dyeing the eggs. Right after that, we also had a paper crafts workshop. So we, uh, in Polish, one of our crafts that we do is these very intricate paper cuttings that kind of have these designs like that repeat, you know, these folkloristic designs that are important to like uh, culture and to various regions of Poland. And we're always busy here. Like we, our volunteers, we're a small group, but we are very dedicated. We build all the displays ourselves. We have monthly meetings. We always are planning something for the next you know, month and into the future. So there's a lot going on and we're always looking for more volunteers. And how can people get in contact with you if they want to come down for a visit or if they're interested in in volunteering and getting involved? You can uh, find our website, which is www.polishmuseum.com. It's really easy to remember. We also have a Facebook page, Ognivo Polish Museum or Instagram. And we're pretty active on all of those. So just give us a shout. We'll get back to you. Right now we are open by request. So if you want to come in, Just send us an email. One of our volunteers will come and give you a tour, let you look around, do your research, whatever you need. And also Monday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. And people can drop in and have a look around the museum or drop off donations or whatever they want. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Marta, for the wonderful tour of the Ognivo Polish Museum. It was a pleasure and uh, we hope to see you here. Thanks for coming with us on the RC360 road trip. See you next week, same time, different place. Thanks, Robert. 
can't wait for next week's road trip. We're actually heading outside of the city limits, going on a road trip beyond to, the perimeter to Cook's Creek Heritage Museum. So uh, stay tuned for next week. And we're going to have many more road trips all throughout Manitoba all summer long. So if, if you're listening online or in the city and you have an idea of a museum or archive that you think we should visit on the road trip, give us a call. Number's always open 24-7-204-944-9474, extension 360, and let us know where we should head on our next road trip. Coming up next on the show, Megan Tate is on her way into the studio. She is a friend of the show and the Director of Community Grants at the Winnipeg Foundation. They recently launched a $1 million granting stream that's going to be focusing on projects and and charities and organizations that are supporting reconciliation in our city. So we're going to learn all about that right after our next musical break. But here are the Supremes with Someday We'll Be Together right here on RC360.
for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today. And I'm now joined in studio by a fantastically special guest. We have Megan Tate, the Director of Community Grants at the Winnipeg Foundation. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being back on the show. You are a, a very fine guest of ours, and we love having you on to talk about the foundation and, and all the work that's being done there. Uh, my first question, we're, we're, well, today we're going to be talking about a new reconciliation granting stream. A million dollars is going to be putting out into the community mm-hmm. to support reconciliation uh, in all sorts of different ways. Uh, but before we sort of get into the nuts and bolts, I, I wanted to ask you why the Winnipeg Foundation sort of uh, decided to make this a priority for, for them in the, in the next coming years. Yeah, so it really goes back to the Vital Signs report that the Winnipeg Foundation launched in October of last year. Wow. Uh, And so that was our opportunity to get feedback from community about what issues are important to them, to us as Winnipeggers. And uh, the intention of the report was to inform our next strategic plan, which will start uh, in 2019. But it really quickly emerged that reconciliation was a community issue and topic that Winnipeggers were really um, wanting to tackle. And so we felt that it was something that simply couldn't wait till our next strategic plan. Uh, and we wanted to be able to address the issue of reconciliation in some way. And so the reconciliation grant stream was born. Cool. So what was the process of, so when you learned that this was an issue that needed to be focused on, how did, take me from the beginning and, and how that all kind of started from conception to reality now today. Yeah, so uh, we knew that it needed to be different from our other uh, granting programs. I've been at the foundation for almost 20 years now, so I can uh, create new grant programs in my sleep. (laughs) But we wanted to engage, uh, first of all, leaders from from the Indigenous community. Uh, So we convened a group of Indigenous leaders led by one of our board members, Patricia Mainville. Mm -hmm. Patricia is also part of our grants committee, so she's both an experienced community member and an experienced grant maker. And so we really looked to our advisory committee to tell us what a reconciliation granting program would look like. Mm -hmm. So we worked with them to develop the guidelines, the application form, the application process. Um, So in that way, it is quite different from some of our other granting programs. Interesting. So how is this going to be a little bit different from your normal course of business then? Yeah, so... Through our community grants, which is our most diverse granting program, we certainly over the years have supported projects that address reconciliation. But this was an opportunity for us to do it in a way that's a bit more intentional and focused so that the foundation has committed $1 million specifically to reconciliation projects Mm -hmm. and that organizations will have an opportunity to apply um, exclusively to that reconciliation grants program without affecting their opportunity to apply through community grants for other projects that they Mm -hmm. might have on the go in the year. Right, because you can only apply for a certain amount of grants per year or something? That's right. You can only apply for one community grant per calendar year. And so we didn't want organizations have to choose between reconciliation and other priorities Mm -hmm. that they have in their organization. So what's the criteria then for these agencies to apply for these grants and how did you decide what the criteria would be? Yeah, so um, like all our granting programs, the first criteria is organizations do need to be registered charities. We're the Winnipeg Foundation, so projects must primarily benefit the people of Winnipeg. Uh, That doesn't mean that projects have to take place physically in the city, but Mm -hmm. the projects do need to benefit Winnipegers. Um, And then this is where we really learned from our Um, advisory committee. So there's two key documents that have created the framework for this granting program. So um, 
The one that we um, were thinking of was the Truth and Reconciliation Commission released 94 calls mm -hmm. to action right. for Canadians. And so we uh, set out on this initiative thinking that we were going to be looking for projects that address one or more of the 94 calls to action. Our committee also um, felt it was really important for UNDRIP, which is short for the United Nations Declaration for the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, um, is also a really foundational document for the calls to action, so that they felt that was a really important um, foundational document for this granting program as well. So organizations will need to relate their projects both to UNDRIP and to the 94 calls to action. And so that's um, another thing I think that sets this granting program apart is the intentionality of um, really focusing projects on UNDRIP and the calls to action. Mm -hmm. So in a sort of a bigger picture sense, obviously Vital Signs had a lot of data that came back to the foundation and there's a lot of different things that the people were saying. The foundation could have chosen a lot of different areas to choose. Why did they really focus on uh, supporting reconciliation? Like why has that been a, a, an idea that needs to be addressed? Yeah, and I guess it's... Um, it's important to note that it's not just this special granting stream that the foundation's embarking on to address uh, reconciliation. Um, part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is the truth. And so we as a staff and a board have been really working to educate ourselves about Canada's history, um, about residential schools, the treaties. Um, and so it is part of broader work that we're doing as a foundation. And I think it's important because um, Winnipeg is home to Treaty 1, so we're the very first treaty uh, signed in the country. Uh, Winnipeg has Canada's largest urban Indigenous population, and so we're all in this together as Winnipegers. And um, as the Winnipeg Foundation, uh, we thought it was important for us to be a leader in this area. So if there's an agency or charity out there that is listening to this now and thinks that seems like, you know, we're doing work in this area. Maybe we could um, apply for one of these grants. How can they find more information and where can they learn a little, get, go a little deeper? Yeah. So um, on our website, we have a section for granting and there's a, a spot dedicated to the reconciliation grants. So that's where organizations or really anyone who's interested can find uh, the granting guidelines. The application form is now available. Uh, we also have links to those key documents on drip and the calls to action, uh, as well as a brief informational video to help guide them through the application process. Very cool. So w I'm going to ask you one more question before I let you go. Where, where do you hope that the city, how do you hope, let's say five years from now, that uh, the foundation has sort of put all this money back into the community and, and focused a lot on, on reconciliation? How do you hope things have shifted a little bit in, in our city? So I guess personally, what I hope from the reconciliation grants is that all Winnipeggers, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, can come together and move forward as a community in partnership. Mm -hmm. And that, um, and I'm going to steal from Kevin Lamaru, who's a, a wonderful Indigenous educator who certainly guided some of the foundation's thinking, to say that we can't change the past, but we can change how we move forward. And so I would hope that the reconciliation grants would allow organizations and individuals in our community to move forward um, in a new way that both acknowledges the historical injustices of the past 
um, and recognizes that we'll be a much stronger community if we're all working together. Well, I think this is a great opportunity for people to connect and for organizations to connect and create new partnerships and new communities and all, like you said, move forward together. So I couldn't have said it better myself. Megan Tate, the Director of Community Grants, thank you so much for joining us today on RC360. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nolan. We've got more River City 360 to come, but here is some more music for the time being. Here's Let the Sunshine In by James Last right here on RC360. That was Mr. James Last with Let the Sun Shine In, and hopefully today we let some more sunshine in on our day. It's been a great week, and hopefully it continues into the weekend and into your long weekend, because, yeah, it's always better on the long weekend when you have a little bit of sunshine. Am I right? Right. (laughs) We've got one more song before we say goodbye today, so here's Eddie Graff and his orchestra with June Knight right here on RC360.
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us as well. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do all of that on our website. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we always love to hear your feedback about the show. Tell us what you liked about uh, today's show if you want. Uh, You can also request a song uh, or even suggest a topic for a future show. And uh, let us know where we should go on our next River City 360 road trip. What's a really interesting museum or archive anywhere in Manitoba? Tell us where we should uh, where we should head off on our next road trip. You can do that by giving us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. That's our listener line. It's open 24-7, so you can call at any time. Again, the number to call, 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off for RiverCity360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.